I discovered Unitarian Universalism as a young adult, fresh out of college. What's more, I think that Unitarian Universalism chose me more than I even chose it. As a 22-year-old, disenchanted with the religion of my youth, I was seeking something that suited me better. I was seeking a faith that would respond better both to my head and to my heart. In the fall of 1991, I left my home state of Montana to try living in Portland, Oregon. I had just graduated from Montana State University with a philosophy degree, a degree that did not make me particularly sought after by high-paying multinational corporations. Undaunted, I moved two states away to make my living in a city where I knew no one and to start the type of career that people with philosophy degrees start, that is, customer service. (laughs) I got a job making coffee drinks at a drive-thru espresso shop. To quote a popular Morrissey song, I needed a job, and then I found a job, and heaven knows I'm miserable now. Slinging espresso as fast as I could from 5.30 a.m. until early afternoon each day did not give me much time to contemplate my spiritual life. But it did support my meager lifestyle. It paid the rent and it provided the freedoms that come with living with small means. Within a week or so of being in Portland, I started my search for a new church home. Having been been raised in the church, I knew that I needed to be part of a congregation. But what kind? My short list of possibilities included the Quakers, the United Church of Christ, and the Unitarians. I had no experience with any of the three, but I knew that each had a liberal reputation, and that was mostly what I was seeking. Having walked by First Unitarian Church a couple of times, it seemed like a good enough place to start. I had cased the joint a bit, and it looked like a church that took itself seriously. This was enough to warrant a visit. Remember, in those days, before the Internet, to case a church, you had to actually physically go there. In my slacks, dress shirt, and tie, I felt quite overdressed my first Sunday at First Unitarian. But the people were friendly to me, and the service was inspirational. I didn't go to coffee hour that first Sunday, but felt like that this church was one that deserved further exploration. I went back the next Sunday, and the next, and the next. Each time I attended... I liked it more and more. It spoke to me in a way that I needed to hear. It said, you belong here. You can bring your whole self here. You can be of service here. I began to get involved. I began to make friends. And I began to feel like First Unitarian was my church. I joined a little over a year later. 
And then someone invited me into church leadership. As a young adult, I was quite surprised by this invitation. No one had ever done this before. And this invitation to leadership led to another and another and another. Really, this congregation chose me as much as I chose it. Faith is always a two-way street. An engaged faith informs our lives just as much as our lives inform our own faith. To think that we can get all of the answers we want from a single church is as foolish as to think that we could have all of the answers in the first place. There is far too much muddling around in this life for that kind of clarity. Just as soon as we get one piece of our lives figured out, something else comes up that we feel completely unprepared for. Every time we feel like we have reached a stopping place in our faith journeys, we find it not a stop, but actually a turn. And the path stretches out before us again when we turn the corner. And this is how it should be. None of us here would be satisfied with easy answers. None of us would accept for long the certainty that's doled out in some houses of worship. None of us would want to resign from the process of engaging in our own spiritual lives. For us, the joy is in the discovery. The joy is in learning how others tackle the challenges that we face, often using very different methods. Some of us pray, some of us meditate, some of us read extensively, some of us participate in rituals, some of us observe the cycles of nature, some of us walk with God, and some of us walk with the generations past and future in mind. None of us goes about our spiritual life in exactly the same way, and yet each of us has a great deal in common with all of the others. We Unitarian Universalists do have core beliefs and actions. These core beliefs and actions give us a great deal of unity. We have a common voice with which we speak a common language. We speak that common language as our faith informs our work in the world. Any who remain deeply engaged with our transforming faith choose it over and over and over again in their lives. They choose it even as their lives change and draw them in different directions. They choose it because they know that our faith can change with them. It can grow and expand in new directions. It can inform their actions in all times and all places. It can adapt as needed. One of our religious traditions, revered foremothers, knew the adaptability of her Unitarian faith. She knew how it could guide her life as her life changed and expanded. It could sustain her in times of grief as well as times of celebration. This faith could see her through the challenges and difficulties of being an intellectual woman in the middle of the 19th century. 
the Unitarian faith of Margaret Fuller was as adaptable and tenacious as she was. It was as full of head and heart, too. The autumn of 1844 was a pivotal time for early feminist and author Margaret Fuller. That fall, she left Ralph Waldo Emerson's Concord orbit and moved to New York City to take a job as a book reviewer for Horace Greeley's New York Tribune. This move marked a spiritual shift for her as well as a vocational one. In moving away from Concord, Margaret Fuller spread her wings wider than she had before, and in doing so, she came more fully into her own. Long Emerson's confidant and chief debate partner, Margaret Fuller could now extend her feminist voice to a wider audience. The New York Tribune had 50,000 subscribers in those days, an astonishing number for a newspaper of that time. Whereas Emerson's style of transcendentalism lifted up self-reliance and introspection, Fuller's new journalistic life brought her face-to-face with all of the beauty and all of the horror that New York City could provide. She felt thrust out of the tranquility of Concord and into the immediacy of New York. She became acutely aware of the position of working women and the poor. Her engagement with the cruel realities of the world continued as she wrote a series of columns about the terrible living conditions prisoners faced in various New York prisons. After spending a night with female inmates at Sing Sing, she could no longer sit by and let their plight go unheard. Beyond prisons, Fuller's exploration of the plight of women took her to almshouses and insane asylums. Each experience touched her more and more deeply on an emotional and a spiritual level. Philip F. Gura writes in his book, American Transcendentalism, Like many in Greeley's circle, Fuller was exorcised by the horrors of American slavery, and in her column she indicted politicians that supported it. Significantly, however, she resisted the notion that communitarian association was the answer to the country's ills. Rather, following her friend William Henry Channing's lead, she appealed to her reader's Christian conscience. Institutions themselves, the almshouse, asylums, and prisons were not the problem, she said. Personal ignorance perpetuated the misery seen on the city's streets. Gura continues, To live the gospel of Christ implied a profound brotherhood and sisterhood that would initiate a social and spiritual millennium for Fuller. That Fuller had moved to such a position after her long sojourn in Emerson's orbit testified to New York's indelible impact on her. There she could not avert her eyes from suffering, awakening to the inequalities that gave the lie to the American, America's purportedly egalitarian society. She subordinated her transcendent ego to her social conscience. 
Margaret Fuller recognized that a faith that is engaged with the ills of the world is far more satisfying than one that shields its eyes from the world. Without being too harsh on Mr. Emerson and Concord, he and it were somewhat shielded from the harsh realities of American life. In this way, Concord was not and is not that different from many suburban American communities. In her move from the gentle tree-lined streets of Concord to the commerce-driven bustle of New York City, Margaret Fuller opened herself up to the full plight of humanity in a way that she never had before. And the surprising thing is, she found more life there. In no way did she like everything she encountered in New York City, but she could feel a sense of urgency and purpose there. The work was clear in New York. Her voice was needed. And she need not be overly preoccupied with her inner life there. Her spiritual thrust turned outward, too. It is my belief that our faith should open us up to new things in life, not close us off to newness. It should make space for new experiences, new realities, and new demands. Faith should flow into new situations and new relationships, providing the lubrication needed to make them work better. If we can see that of God in each situation and each new relationship, we can move forward with clarity and purpose and gentleness of character. It wasn't that Margaret Fuller couldn't see the need for Christian conscience in Concord. It was just that its need was so much more evident to her in New York City. And so it often is for us. We are each called to find both the Concord places in our lives and the New York City places as well. We are called to times of rest and contemplation just as we are called to times of prophecy and action. To have a balanced spiritual life, there can't be one without the other. There is no New York without Concord, and there is no Concord without New York. Too much introspection leads to a narcissistic denial of the troubles of the world. Too much action leads to disillusionment, which results in fatigue, burnout, and spiritual crisis. Finding the balance between mystic and activist is the key. To be alive is to constantly explore both the inner and the outer life, for there is not one without the other. To be fully engaged in our own spiritual lives, we must be fully engaged in life itself. Ours is not a static faith. Rather, our faith demands that we pay attention to the changes in our lives and to the changes in the world around us. Whether we were raised Unitarian Universalist or not, we choose this faith of ours over and over and over again throughout our years. Likewise, we choose to be fully present to our own spiritual lives and present to the world around us. 
In coming to First Parish, we have been given a glorious opportunity, you and me. Here we have a church that takes itself seriously. Here we have a church that sits right at the heart of this wonderful town. Here we have a place where we can feed our spiritual lives and where our hands might be of service. There is no reason that First Parish in Concord cannot do and be more than it currently is. There's no reason that we cannot prosper through the generosity of our members. There's no reason that we cannot have our voices heard far and wide. There's no reason that our church shouldn't be a a leader in the Unitarian Universalist Association. There's no reason First Parish shouldn't thrive and grow. But we have to have the will. We must be willing to look at the world around us with new eyes. We must find some urgency for our work. We must find some tangible results upon which we might build. There are people who are casing First Parish right now. Casing it much like I cased First Unitarian Church of Portland, Oregon 22 years ago. They are walking and driving by our building. They are hearing stories about us. They are seeing us mentioned in the newspaper. They are coming to weddings and memorial services here. And, of course, they are casing us online. That's how it's done these days. You look up a church online and often make your decision about whether you will visit or not by what you see there in the privacy of your own home. These people are listening to my sermons. They are reading about the many activities of the church. They are looking at the church calendar of events, believe it or not. They are figuring out which Sunday they will check us out in person. Are we ready for them? Will they find our hearts as open as our doors? Will they see what I saw? as a young adult searching for a faith community, will first perish, choose them as much as they choose us. Something brought each of us to this amazing place. Let us bring others in too. Let us discover together. So be it. Amen.